Garrett Anderson coming at you live Friday, April 21st, and I have the opportunity of sitting across from Don Penich Thacker, and uh, we're here to discuss a bit of local politics, a little bit of education, future of our children. Uh, we, we're both, uh, you know, family people with, uh, with young ones, and um, I understand uh, you've been recommended to me by a, a colleague and, and a, a confidant. Um, that, that you're in the thick of things in terms of public education policy and, and voucher expansion, which just went through in Arizona. And I am self-described um, interested but uninformed. And I thought we could have a, a little conversation here to get the important um, pieces of information out. Um, I've read a little bit, but um, you know, c- consider me a blank slate. And, uh, and, and here's a forum for us to just kind of chat and, uh, and get down to the bottom of things. So um, very briefly, why don't you just sort of introduce yourself um, and, uh, and, and let everybody know what, uh, what we're here to discuss. All right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for, for talking about this today. I'm Don Penich Thacker, as you said. I am a professor and a mom of little ones and an Arizona native. And um, just within the last few months, got really involved with Arizona politics at the state level, where um, public school education and vouchers, as you said, um, kind of hit the radar in a major way. Um, There's been a lot of grassroots kind of interest ever since the election last November. Mm -hmm. And here in Arizona, that's really taken a laser focus in terms of public education and vouchers. Mm-hmm. Um, explain a little bit about um, the voucher. So it started off as being a, a very limited program for um, children with learning disabilities. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Arizona has, for a long time, maybe a decade, already had vouchers for a really specific cohort of, of young people, students with disabilities, who a lot of even great schools can't necessarily accommodate because of you know the diversity or the severity of the disabilities. Um, it has expanded to foster children. So vouchers have existed for a long time in a very small and very direct way. Mm-hmm. This January, for the first time, our state legislature decided that they wanted to expand vouchers to absolutely any student in Arizona with no kind of qualifications on needs or income or whether their local schools could meet their needs or anything. Um, and the voucher, j- just to be clear, is is money that's available to students in order to afford private school or or, um, parochial school. Right. So voucher is basically just a way of saying that you're taking taxpayer money, public money that would have gone into the public education system, into the big pot that funds all of our public schools, and instead saying, okay, every student is worth $6,000. So we're going to take $6,000 out of the public school budget 
and give it to you, individual family Jones, on a debit card, and you can go use it in whatever way you see fit in terms of education. That might be to go to a private school, a charter school. It might be to do online school. It might mm. be to be homeschooled. Um, it really has no limits, which in some ways concerns a lot of people because, again, this is our, our public money. And every student who uses a voucher, that's four to $7,000 out of the public education budget. Hmm. This is a problem, not because kids going to schools of their choice is a problem. That's great. I mean, we're not a one size fits all, you know, civilization. Mm -hmm. Folks see that the problem is that 95% of families in Arizona do choose public schools. They, when polled and, you know, when you look at the data, 95% want to go to their neighborhood school or the closest charter if they have kind of an art focus or a math and science focus. And charters are public schools. So that's one misconception sometimes that folks have. Mm -hmm. um, the vouchers are different because now it's saying that instead of sharing all the money for all the, the kids, that by expanding the vouchers to absolutely everyone, um, that money that public education needs could go it it literally is a debit card mm. and and that parents can you know make make much more choices there could be exodus out of public schools that's and that's one of the main concerns um and the exodus interestingly enough um a research firm associated with arizona arizona state university it's called the morrison institute they just put out a big study that they've done saying that the exodus is actually on the part of the teachers um 40 mm. percent of kindergarten through 12th grade teachers are leaving within the first year of the job 40 percent and then the statistic for how many leave within the first few years is even greater. And that's in-state? Yes, okay. in the state of Arizona, in the public education system. Um, so that's very concerning because how many of us as parents want to know that our son or daughter is with a brand new first year teacher right. you know they might be awesome and talented and brilliant but i think most of us like the notion of experience or knowing that if a teacher is brand new at least she or he is going to get help from all the veteran right. teachers in the school but if the vast majority of them are leaving within a couple of years that means it's basically a ship all run by novices mm -hmm. and that's not their fault but that doesn't make parents and students feel the best right mm. we want to know that there's experience somewhere yeah so it, it seems that if if um nurturing and facilitating and compensating public school teachers and prioritizing their experience isn't a priority for the state then you you reap what you sow and you have this exodus among the teachers, yeah. Which, um, so, so, uh, kind of zooming out from a high level, uh, you know, I went to public education, yeah, me too, um, public school kid, and never really, th really thought of very much other choice. I kind right. of, you know, it was just sort of my expectation that it was hop on the bus, go listen to your teacher. Uh, um, it, even with the, you know, the like you mentioned, the advantage of charter schools is you know, specialization of of interest and of pursuit. And, you know, to, to my mind, 
there's there is sort of a value in just a general education and like i was probably too young to even know what i wanted to do to to make some sort of informed choice um so help me disentangle this issue of when or why are public schools uh, are, are they out of vogue? Do, do they not provide a value? You know, as a parent, am I concerned? So, and then the other thing that I, um, sorry to throw a bunch of issues at you at once, but the other thing that my wife and I discuss is, yes, I, you know, I want what's best for all kids, but especially my kid. And I, I have this, you know, this internal battle, I'm sure this is not new, that, um, you know, it's like, well, if if my kid is being distracted at public school, I might need to take her out and put her in a charter school. But then my kid isn't back at the public school to be a good influence, you know. And so, uh, you know, not to say that my kids are always the the golden children, but you know, I'd like to think that they're a good influence on the whole. So, you know, I, I have this notion as an individual parent, I want what's best for my kid, but at the same time, I know that what's best for my community is going to be, be like also best for my kid. So it's like, you know, like let's leave them there together so that they can help each other be right. better. And then also those skills of learning to deal with disruptive kids or, you know, watching how teachers discipline other kids or, you know, whatever it is, there's all sorts of intangible experiences that aren't those three R's. Um, which is also hysterical because arithmetic doesn't start with an R. So it's like, we're already starting off on a bad foot. But okay, so I threw a lot at you yeah. there. Um, so help, like, help me disentangle some of that. Okay. Um, well, a couple things. Um, I think I absolutely agree with you that there is some value to just a really general education and, and kids getting, well, being forced to try a little bit of everything, right? You have to try to play the recorder in music mm -hmm. class and you have to try to, you know, cook a filet of fish in aluminum in science class and all that kind of thing. Um, and I think that that's great for a lot of families. Um, lost a little bit of my train of thought because of all of those questions, actually, sir. Um, let me try to get back on back on track here. Um, I think that the concern that you kind of voiced is a really common one. I know that I'm this big, you know, public education advocate, but at the end of the day, if my eight-year-old, who happens to be a handful, was struggling in our neighborhood school, would I say, like, by principle, I will not help him? No, of course not. I am going to look around for the options that work for him. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that this is the fault of any parent who makes that kind of decision. I think that is the number one job of every parent to make that decision. I think where we get into the problem is that it's the job of our lawmakers to make sure that the options available to us are the best that they can be. That's their job to make sure that the schools around us and that the education that kids in Arizona receive is the best possible option, whether that's the neighborhood school or the charter. But I think of public education, you know, the neighborhood public school as kind of like, that's the dinner. Like that's the good, solid, healthy dinner that our moms made us eat with the protein and the veggies. And that dinner needs to be eaten before you get dessert, right? You don't get to load up on sugar and all the fun stuff until that dinner is done. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I look at public education. And then all of these kind of voucher programs is that our public schools should be the strongest and best they can possibly be. 
And then if we have cool room to maneuver and cool options and extra money, then yeah, let's find a way to get more kids going to the private academy if they want to go, or let's find a way to do extra things. But I think that in Arizona, we have been defunding public education for literally decades, mm. at least 20 years. And so it's kind of like this problem was created by our lawmakers, and now that they want to fix it, they're saying they need to run away from the pop problem they created mm -hmm. instead of making public schools whole, fixing the problem. They're saying, okay, well, let's just turn our back on public schools. They're not working. Well, why aren't they working? Because they don't have support, right? I'm, I'm glad you said that because uh, in the bit of reading I did um, leading up to this uh, conversation, the impression that I was getting was that there, there was a, um, a systemic problem and then the response was to add a layer right. instead of addressing the problem. Absolutely. It's, okay, well, let's add a layer, and, and then what? So here's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Another bill that hasn't passed yet um, is in the legislature right now, which gets rid of teacher certification because we have a massive teacher shortage in Arizona, in addition to them leaving within the first few years, we also don't have a lot of people going into teaching as a major to begin with because mm. they know it's low paying and they know that there's a big emphasis on testing and results and mm. show, your, show your worthiness. Um, and so instead of our legislature saying, look, we need, we need to do something about this teacher shortage, let's make the job more attractive by paying more, let's make the work culture more positive by not being so hard on them all the time. Let's make people want to be teachers. Mm. Instead, they're saying, you know what? Let's make it easier for Joe Schmo to become a teacher. Mm. They don't need to go to college for that. They don't need to be certified. They can just go teach if they love kids, which really freaks me out. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that because mm -hmm. I am a teacher, right? But teaching little kids I mean, you're a musician, right? I don't know, maybe you are a natural teacher of music, but being able to do the craft and being an artist yourself or being a scientist or being a um, architect is not the same as teaching it, especially not to a room full of 30 wiggling kids mm -hmm. who don't necessarily care, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that's a good example of, you know, that's not fixing the problem. Making it easier for anybody to become a teacher, that anybody is still going to get into the classroom and look around and say, wait a second, I'm dealing with all of this for $35,000 a year right. and they're being really hard on me all the time? Never mind. Right. 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 Uh, the, the approach almost seems like, so, you know, so be it with the turnover, we'll just expand the pipeline. Right. I, exactly. Yeah. That, uh, if, if you, people listening can't see my face, but I'm grimacing and, and, <laughs> and, you know, like as you're mentioning these things, um, so that, that bill is coming up. 
So, okay, so uh, just real quick context. Um, I wanted to get you on uh, before the last big, uh, the expansion went through. And then we were emailing back and forth. And lo and behold, like over, literally overnight, I I was like, oh no, Dawn, like I just read the news. It looks like that went through. So it sounds like your work is not done. Like, you you know, there's there's other things coming um, to to the floor that that people need to be aware of. Yeah, so. This teacher certification being one of them. Yeah, so that's still in the legislature, and you know the the way that bills work in in Arizona, it gets debated in the Senate, it gets debated in the House. If it passes both of those bodies, then it goes up to the governor, who can either sign it into law or he can just let it die. Um, so this bill about getting rid of teacher certification requirements, that's still in the House. So it hasn't gone to Governor Ducey yet. So this is still an opportunity that people can be calling the governor's office and saying, if you get that bill, please don't sign it. Mm-hmm. Or they can be calling their state representatives um, in whichever legislative district they live in and asking them, please, not to pass that on if they if they agree that that's not a solution to this mm. teacher shortage problem. Now, are there talking points on the other side for benefits of removing certifications? Yeah, of course. Um, so the majority of Republican um, advocates of this bill say that, you know, what could be better than a working chemist being your chemistry teacher um, or that, you know, that it's exactly that the talking point is exactly what you just said. The talking point is let's just open the pipeline. Let's mm-hmm. expand the pipeline. Um, and that's that. And, you know, the natural innate ability in all of us to teach if we're an expert, you know, mm. is kind of their talking points. Yeah. Mm. Removing a layer of bureaucracy. Yes. And deregulation. Right. Right, which is um, quite the topic du jour across the country, right? Um, Okay, so now you you think fundamentally the government does play a role in the educating our children and providing that dinner as you as you (laughs) it's a great metaphor for it. Um, So is is that a question that is um, worth? examining it all like are, are do you are, do you have a concern and i've heard this from some of the uh, other things that i've listened to about the privatization of mm-hmm. education just yeah. across the board the government getting out of the business of education yeah is is that a concern of yours or do you think that is way way too far the pendulum swing um well on paper arizona actually in our constitution in our arizona constitution there's actually a line that says that it is the job of the state to ensure public education and equal access and opportunity to public education for all citizens um so not all states have that arizona's constitution actually states that Mm. which you know, if you kind of subscribe to the whole notion of whatever the original intent was, we should try to stick to that kind of thing, then, you know, that's something that the founders of Arizona thought was really important. Um, And then I personally, I do, I believe that that is the social safety net, right? That is the gateway that we want to ensure that anyone who is in Arizona having kids, that they all get a fair shot, at least from the beginning. You know, what you do with that after that's that's on you and that's on your parents and Mm -hmm. that's on your experiences right Mm -hmm. but let's start everyone off at the same starting line Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that that's what a strong public education system is it's saying that whether you were born affluent or whether you were born impoverished you're we're going to give you the tools to make it 
and and that's education we know that um the other kind of element to it on on the grander scale as you said is our economy um we already know from our chambers of commerce that businesses are already saying that they would love to come to Arizona for the climate, for the ease of living, for some of the tax breaks, but that they won't come here because they're not guaranteed a well-educated workforce. Mm. And that is really tough when I hear that because being an educator, um, you just think like, wow, is it that bad that companies can't even they can't even be sure that they'll be able to do their job, produce their widgets or whatever it is, because our kids are that underperforming across the rest of the nation. That's really concerning to me. And um, and business business owners, survey after survey after survey, have said that finding skilled and educated employees is their number one challenge. And so for Arizona, which tries to be a, a a very welcoming state for business and innovation mm-hmm. to at the same time not be investing in those workers right shooting yourself in the foot yeah. in, in your in your ultimate uh, you know objectives yeah now does does school have a long way to go to um, align themselves and the curriculum to be producing the workers of the future you know what that's the thing it's not that hard I I almost feel bad speaking in such dire terms about our public education system because we have a lot of good things happening. We have a lot of really strong school districts here. We have a lot of talented teachers, but if they if we could make a few really strategic and impactful decisions, then it would not take us 20 years to catch up. Mm. We could catch up really fast if we really turned it around in terms of funding, funding for the classroom, and then funding for getting people into the profession of teaching. Are, uh, in your experience and your observations, are the dollars well spent? Is there an issue with making sure that the money that does go in is being spent effectively? Or, you know, anticipating sort of a, um, uh, maybe a right-wing criticism would be, well, you know, make sure the dollars are being spent effectively. Yeah, well, that's uh, so funny that you point that out because that's kind of one of the core hypocrisies with the voucher expansion is that along with the vouchers is a loophole that the privates and online and um, parochial schools that you can go to with these vouchers don't have to report anything about your test results, your growth in learning, how they spend the money. Why? Because many of these are privately owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And as private businesses, they do not have to, they don't have the same requirement for transparency and accountability as a government organization would. Mm-hmm. And public schools are the government. Mm-hmm. So that's why they have to share where every single penny goes that is shared and public when you look at public schools. And we're losing that visibility. Absolutely. With the voucher dollars. Yes. And this is because of lobbying on the part of the privatization special interests. They don't want to have to share where their do- dollars go because many of them have a very well-paid CEO. And parents don't want to know that there's a CEO making six figures and that your $10,000 a year tuition is actually mostly going to that and not mm. so much to your kid. Mm. Yeah. And I just, I, I feel in this conversation and in 
just modern day culture, this moment in our our nation and our world that just this need for transparency and this need for accountability and this need for, you know, trust in our institutions is, you know, how many times are we going to let the smart, aggressive, power hungry, greedy people continue <laughs> to add a layer of confusion and complexity right. to skim off, you know, public funds and, 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 you know, at the risk again of sound sounding dire, you know, short changing our future right. for a, you know, short term gain. Um, you know, it just, it, to me and the way you, you lay it out in some of the articles I read it, it, um, it, it, it just seems baffling that it's allowed to persist this way. <laughs> And and that's why I have to commend you for for being a voice for for you know reason um, and for accountability. You know, it's like you could almost have a um, uh, an agendaless approach and just say, well, I, my agenda is is accountability. Yeah. And then just proceed from there. And you don't have to have strong opinions one way or the other. Right. Just lay out the facts. Um, so real, real quick um, to kind of circle back to exactly what you're t uh, talking about. Is this when, when people refer to it as a six-year experiment, that that's not a very strong talking point because the data won't be available? Exactly. Right? So the idea is it's, a six, it's a, an expansion uh, that's capped in six years, but you can't really call it an experiment. It's, it's basically a, once we release this out of, out of Pandora's box, it's going to be hard to put back in. Yeah. It's a, it's very much a, a practice in um, comparing apples and oranges, you know, because they built the voucher expansion so that these schools would not be required to do the same reporting that public schools are. So six years down the road, nothing is going to be different about that. We will not be able to compare because the information simply won't exist because it's not required to exist. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, any other positive highlights? You were mentioning that it's not, you know, there are optimistic things and you were talking about very strategic things that could happen to get, you know, very quick um, uh, change. Uh, well, what else is on the horizon in your point of view? Um, you know, one thing about educators and administrators and parents who get involved with their schools is they're used to being creative, right? They're very innovative. They're very passionate. And so depending on the different school districts, there's all kinds of ideas about ways to make things better. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that, you know, parents step in and kind of fill the gap. Um, there are educational organizations in the state that are looking at ways to do professional development and make teachers' lives better so that they love the job better um, and, and stick around, mm -hmm. right? Which is what we all want. Um, but, it, you know, back to being dire, dun, dun, dun. it goes back to that thing of resources because these organizations are generally nonprofits or, you know, donation-based or volunteer-based, and so they can't do everything. They do the best they can, mm -hmm. but um, probably the number one thing, and whether it's on the legislative side of getting involved with your with your representatives, calling them, asking them how they're voting, that kind of thing, is get involved with your actual school. Um, school boards are elected positions, and the vast majority of the time, the people who run to be elected to school board run unopposed. And there can be some really amazing people on school boards and there can be some truly terrifying people on school boards. Mm -hmm. But most people, I mean, I'll tell you until 
this past election, I didn't know who sat on the school board of my kid's school. That's just, mm -hmm. it seems like such like small details, right, in, in our busy, busy lives. Mm -hmm. um, but that kind of thing makes a big difference. There's a lot of nonprofits and grassroots organizations right now who are 100% focused on just trying to get more people running for office. And school board is one of the best places to start because it's not super intimidating, it's not super expensive, and it's not a huge life commitment, right? It's not like you have to leave your job or, you know, have a big conversation with your family about it. But th that's the body that makes decisions for your schools. That's the body that decides that they're not going to cut the music class, that they are going to keep the music teacher, that instead of, um, you know, buying a second hole punching machine, that they're going to go ahead and buy a steel drum set for music class. That's the body that decides those things. So mm. if parents would get involved with that, that alone will start to make a huge difference. Hmm. Yeah, I um there is sort of this culture of, of uh, you, you know, like you, you're almost forgiven for not being involved. You know, it's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, you've got this busy life. You, you got a day job and then you come home from your day job. You kick up your feet, watch a hockey game, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> the caps are in the playoffs. Um, uh, go caps. Um, and then, yeah, but, you know, it's like, but then you're in it and you're, you know, you see what's happening around you, you start paying attention, you, you get woke, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, it's encouraging to me that it, it does come down to people. Yeah. And that if you want to, you can assert yourself yeah. and you can show up. Um, you know, I, I understand you've been, you've been down to, you know, to, to the House and, and Senate. Yes. Um, do you want to talk about that at all? I, I know that you had a less than perfect experience. <laughs> yeah, well, one thing that has happened as a result of, you know, the the recent general election back in November and people getting woke, um, maybe for the first time in their lives, is that there's a lot more interest in actually watching government happen as opposed to just kind of hearing the headline afterward. Um, so even I, I've been politically active for a decade here in Arizona, but I had never gone and hung out at the Capitol to hear to hearings and that kind of thing. Well, it turns out every single hearing has an opportunity for public comment. You can send that comment in online. You just register at their you know government website, and you can chime in with your opinion on absolutely anything that they're going to be voting on so that they know how you feel. But you can also just go in and, and sit and you can testify if you want them to hear your opinion or you can just sit and watch. So so I and many other kind of grassroots, just kind of local advocates for education, when this voucher expansion came up, we said, well, we want to learn about this. This sounds like a big deal to go from offering taxpayer money to 6,000 students to offering it to 1.1 million students. That's a pretty big jump. Um, and so a bunch of us went and um, we sat there and they said, okay, the agenda starts at two. So, okay, great. Do all of my work at home in the morning and then head down there after lunch, get there. And lo and behold, they have moved the agenda item. So instead of starting it at 2 p.m., they think they're going to get to it at 9 p.m., but they're Oof. not sure. And meanwhile, there's 70 
school parents, um, family members, teachers, retired teachers, advocates sitting around saying, looking at their watch and just saying, oh my gosh, how am I going to make that happen? So I personally, I waited for seven hours, Mm. sat there (laughs) in an uncomfortable chair and waited. And um, I just, I couldn't stick around any longer. So I never got to have my say. Um, And and the say that I wanted to have is to talk about how um, military families, which I am a part of, rely on public schools. Um, And I I felt like that was a really strategic thing to talk about because our legislature, our entire government actually in Arizona is Republican controlled. So because they are the majority in both bodies as well as in the governor's office, they have sole control of the calendar, of the agenda, of all of that stuff, of who gets to sit on which committees. Um, And so I thought, well, Republicans also like to talk about being strong supporters of the military. Mm -hmm. So you might want to hear about military families and what we feel about public education. So first time I didn't, I sat around, it never came up for seven hours, so I just had to go. Went back a few weeks later when it was being heard in the Senate. And this time I got a little bit smarter um, because I saw what they were doing. What they were doing was letting all of the pro-voucher folks go first. And they would give them um, unlimited time. So someone would go up to the podium and tell a seven-minute story about how much they love their um Baptist school that they go to or whatever the case may be. Um, And then they would go through that for hours. And then they would say, okay, we have heard from everyone who chimed in saying that they're in favor of this. Now we'll get to the opposition, but we're going to take our lunch break now. So we will reconvene in an hour and a half. Mm, Meanwhile, making it as miserable as possible. Meanwhile, we've all been sitting there since the stated time because that's what the calendar said, right? Right. Um, So, but this time I was determined. So when they broke for a recess, I went up to one of the senators on the education committee and I have to admit, I was being a little bit I was sneaky. I said, hi, I'm an army um, spouse. And I really wanted to have my say. But, you know, last time I didn't get a chance. And I didn't share that what I wanted to say was in opposition to vouchers. So mm-hmm. um, this particular Republican senator said like, oh, yeah, OK, definitely. Yes. OK, what's your name? I'm going to make sure and call you up first. OK. Okay, and sure enough, he did. He kept his word. He called me up first, and I get up to the podium. I say, hi, my name is Dawn, and I'm a part of a military family, and I want to talk about why I support public schools and oppose voucher expansion. And you could just see all of their faces fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. um, so I tried to tell my story, but lo and behold, they have now instituted a one-minute deadline. Um, And so I tried to tell my story, but, you know, when you have a four minute story prepared and someone tells you you have about 45 seconds left, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of cut to the chase as best you can without getting too flustered. Um, So that wasn't the best experience. And then um, the other thing that was a little bit frustrating about it is that once they figured out that I was speaking in opposition, um, they, the legislators started um, multitasking, basically, basically sending body language signals of we're not here to listen to this. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our mind made up. This right. is not about your story. Right. <laughs> um, and, and that's pretty common. That's 
Um, one thing that I think is a really serious problem here in Arizona is that we've had one party in control for so, so, so long that I think that's that basic sense of listening to opposition and respecting dissent has eroded mm. because this is not unusual that it happened to me. It wasn't a one-time thing. It's pretty chronic that um, people who come to speak out against don't get the same treatment as people who are in favor of what they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, well, you've got a forum here that, that doesn't have a minute um, <laughs> deadline. Uh, do you want to pull that thread through and just kind of hammer sure. home, you know, your perspective on the military experience um, and, and the connection to public school? Yeah, sure. So in, you know, it's, it's an anecdotal story. It's not statistics and things like that, but I've had a lot of people, tell me that it's it's true of their lives as well so um we are a military family uh, my husband is still serving here in arizona um, in the army and we've been together for 16 years um, in those 16 years we've moved 11 times we've lived in five different states um, we have been together through three deployments which were each at least a year long, um, one of them as long as 15 months. And then in between those deployments, there's constant kind of three months here, three months there, you know, that kind of two weeks here, that kind of thing. Um, what that does to military families is it makes our lives unpredictable. Mm. We're not exactly sure that there's going to be two people to pick up the kids next year because somebody might be deployed, right? Or it might mean that you know, if if, an, if a duty assignment changes, then you're moving in the middle of a school year and mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do about that, you know. Um, so public schools, because of this mandate of accountability and reporting and standards, public schools are kind of that universal, reliable safety net. So that if a kid gets pulled out of school in the middle of the year because dad got assigned to a different base, that kid is able to just basically plop right down into third grade in Kansas, right? Or mm. third grade in Peoria. And it'll be basically the same. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that's um, problematic about the voucher expansion is that there are no curricular requirements, meaning that they can teach whatever they want in whatever order they want. They don't have to abide by the same standards as public schools do. Mm. So you could go from learning, you know, um, division in your public school to going into a charter school where they're learning, um, I don't know, algebra or something, or go into a charter school where they're not teaching math at all mm. because it's a religious-based school and they spend most of the time on Bible study. I wanted to ask, um, it, it strikes me as interesting and an uh, area that I haven't explored very much, but does using public money for religious schools violate some separation of church and state? Well, there are many people who say yes. <laughs> right. um, that's one thing with the voucher expansion is even before it passed, there were groups um, saying, we will fight this. This is unconstitutional. We cannot take public money and say that you can go and learn, you know, the Christian Bible or the Islam, Islamic Quran or you know, again, Joe Schmo's path to happy holiness or whatever. Um, 
So that's problematic. And there are groups who are actively now working on lawsuits already, hmm. which means that more of our public money is going to have to go to those lawsuits in defending the voucher expansion because nobody goes to court for free. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, our money. Um, hmm. But um, yeah, so so just to kind of close the loop on that, you know, it's... For military families, public schools are, are what's reliable. The other thing that is um, really important for military families about public schools is that they're generally your neighborhood school, right? Mm -hmm. And that means that the kids that you go to school with also live in your neighborhood or thereabouts. And, it, and if they live in your neighborhood, then they probably use the same you know community pool to go swimming with, or they probably use the same soccer field for practice. And so... This is something that you probably, having gone all to public school, recognize those that becomes your network, right? The kids you see in school are also on your baseball team, and they're also they also go to the same church you do, and they're also at the grocery store, and you run into each other, and it's mm -hmm. this kind of uh, the building of a community, yeah, as opposed fabric of a community, yeah, yeah, as opposed to just a kind of transactional kind of you know. Um, Something and that's something that military kids, especially. I mean, they can't rely on seeing their dad for a year. They can't rely that they're even gonna, you know, go to that school in a year. So having a social network is really important. Um, and then you made reference to just how important it is for for kids to grow up with diversity, right? People who aren't exactly like them, people who don't study the same Bible that they do right. or look the same way that they look. Um, and to me and to a lot of military families, that's, again, extremely important, um, that ability to learn about other cultures, other ways of life and be OK with it, know how to talk to those people. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a college professor um, in my day job and I have had the homeschoolers who come to come to college, right? And um, sure, their skills are sometimes in place, sometimes they're not. Um, it all depends on how good their mom or dad was at being their teacher, right. right? But the one thing that you do see night and day is the social interaction, the ability to be told like, okay, everybody get into groups of four and start talking about, you know, your impression of, um, you know, Socrates, when he said that, you know, the goal of life is happiness, talk amongst yourselves, report mm -hmm. out to me. And, and you see the difference between kids who are used to doing that and the kids who kind of look around and say, whoa, I, I don't know you guys. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how to talk to you because you're wearing a wrap around your head. And I've never known anyone my entire life who wears a head wrap, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The, the, the shortcomings of a customized experience, yeah. like an overly customized experience and overly on demand and overly echo chambered and all these yes. things that we're seeing sort of, uh, manifesting and, and just starting to scratch the surface of, of the ramifications of what it's doing to yeah. us as individuals and, and as a society. Yeah. Right? And, and, you know, it's, a lot of people talk about how bad like partisan politics have gotten you know at the highest levels of government that we can't even like find a mutually cool happy middle ground you know and I think that some of that goes back to insulating yourself so much mm -hmm. to where you surround yourself with people who always agree with you and look like you and think like you and know what you know and don't know what you don't know and then you encounter a different kind of situation and and we just don't know how to function mm. um 
And so that domino effect of, of what kids get or don't get, depending on their upbringing and, and, you know, public education, most local schools have more diversity and more variety than most of these privates and charters, because that's the other thing that's kind of problematic um, with the voucher expansion is that these schools, just like they don't have to report the same data, they don't have to prove the same kind of accountability, they don't have to accept everyone who comes to their door. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them will turn away students who have a learning disability or um, are not the religion that the school you know, teaches. Right. So um, you end up with homogenized pockets of schools. Where... You do. You do. And, and you also, again, back to the apples and oranges thing, you also end up in a situation where you cannot compare anything because if they turned away every student with a learning disability, if they turned away every student who didn't have a mom-stays-at-home nuclear family, then their test results, their products are going to be different. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see some of these inflated, like, amazing parochial academies where every student is a genius. And mm-hmm. you dig a little deeper and you find out that they turned away 50 students mm-hmm. and kept the seven highest achievers whose parents also donated the highest amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, extra covariates to, yes. to, to the equation. Yeah. I... Uh, I earned my master's in statistics oh, through okay. Texas A&M. I don't really use it very much. So <laughs> it is a, but yes, I can absolutely appreciate that, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, latent and confounding factors in, in models right. that, uh, that can absolutely skew the numbers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time. And, and I, I, you know, I think that, that schools is a really great example to, to watch closely yeah. because you know, it, it, there's complexity there, but it, there's also, you know, what are we, what's the curriculum? Who's going, you know, what does it cost? How much are we compensating teachers? There's, there's some things that you can absolutely wrap your head around yeah. teacher turnover, like a, a lot of the things you've mentioned that you can get an indication of if it's a healthy, stable system or not, if it's having uh, the right kind of results or not. Right. Um, so it, it seems to be a good uh, example of, of where to, to look for improvements and, you know, actually have some actionable strategies. Um, I, sort of a, a, a high level, again, I, I have a tough time with money in politics, and I know that's kind <laughs> of a tough one to sort out. Um, I think the, uh, what is it called, Citizens United, um, yes. the Supreme Court decision that corporations can can donate willy-nilly to campaigns without having to trace that money i think that's kind of a step in the wrong direction and um you know i've I've heard some things about term limits and sort of career politicians being a problem too you know politicians and business being in bed and i I don't want to sound too lefty hippy dippy um but you know they're they're if we can take these examples of schools and and things that are important to local communities and get people engaged and civically literate and civically active up into a point, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure it out. You can, and if we have the transparency and, um, yeah, the visibility into the, the metrics and the outcomes, you know, I feel there's a nugget of optimism there where yeah. you can affect the change from a local level up through, uh, align your intentions. You know, there's always going to be hard questions about, um, a quality of opportunity, um, you know, homogeneity, uh, homogeneity of groups, and do we 
Um, I, I read an article on Vice News about Minnesota schools. I'm not sure if you saw that one where, yeah. you know, they're, they're saying um, uh, desegregation. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we would bus students across districts in order to um, have representative populations within those schools. At some point in time, do you do you scale that back? And then if this area just so happens to be of a certain ethnicity or a certain religion, do you just let that school become that type of school mm-hmm. naturally? Or do you continue to have efforts to diversify? Mm-hmm. And these are really, really complex questions. Yeah, those um, are definitely, those are questions that get kind of to the core of a society, right? Those are things that touch the fundamental beliefs in, in any person about what does it mean to have equality? What does it mean to have justice? Or freedom. Know? Freedom, absolutely. Um, but as you're saying, there's there's common ground that can always be found. Every parent wants the best for their kid, right? Every parent wants to know that when they put their kid through school that they're going to come out the other end and be able to be a happy and productive adult, right? Mm. Um and so that's one of the um, unfortunate things about the voucher expansion is that I think that there would have been middle ground that would have made a lot more people feel a lot better if it would have been a collaborative conversation. Mm-hmm. But going back to what I was saying, where one group has kind of controlled everything for so long that, that those muscles of working together and being open-minded and collaborating, those muscles have atrophied. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is, is that now with this awakening of a lot more people saying, whoa, what is happening in politics? What's happening in my neighborhood school district? These people, and you know, I'm one of them, and our mutual friend is one of them, that's breathing new life and new accountability and new ideas and energy into this whole system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we just need that. We need to sustain it. We need to not lose our desire to be part of it, to use our voice. And there comes a point, and it's usually called an election, where if we get active and the people in charge aren't listening, that's when we get to be in charge, right? Mm-hmm. That's when we get to cast our votes. And then and then we decide, you know, have you treated me well? Do I want you back? Are you fighting for my fundamental beliefs? And if so, you get your job back. And if you don't, then, you know, mm-hmm. good luck. Yeah, <laughs> use, the, use your power as yeah. your electorate and remember that these are quote civil servants absolutely they work for us right at the the end of the day their job title is yeah their (laughs) job title is representative they are representing our values our views Mm. um and and that's a very powerful thing and and it's unfortunate that in so many communities we've let that go but it's amazing and inspiring that people are coming coming around to that you know, um, another quick question that just popped into mind. Do you um, are there examples of other states or other locales that are doing it much wiser, in your opinion, that <laughs> we can learn from? That's in education in particular. That's mm-hmm. funny that you asked that because the same week that Arizona passed the voucher expansion, Texas outlawed vouchers. And a lot of folks were kind of making the derogatory comment about like oh my gosh really texas figured this out but we couldn't which i always i defend because i went to college in texas so texas is okay but um 
But yeah, there are movements all across the nation. And of course, it, it got a lot of national press. Um, Betsy DeVos, the new secretary of education at the federal level, um, she is a big proponent of privatization um, and doing, you know, cutting back government programs for education and just letting states decide how they want to do it and then states deciding to let parents decide how they want to do it. Um, and then and then you get back to what we've already kind of talked about that, you know, if you're a lucky kid born into a, a family that has the resources and has their own education to begin with and has a solid support network, then great. All these choices will probably be amazing choices. Mm. But if you're the majority of kids where you need to be able to rely on some things like a free public school in your neighborhood, like a bus stop that's going to take you to school because your mom and dad can't or whatever, um, then the choices are a lot more limited. Mm. And none of us want to know that our choices are limited. Mm. You know, it's always a bummer if you walk into the coffee shop and they tell you that they're out of seven things, right? Nobody likes that. Right. We don't want to do that to our, to our kids' education. Mm, right one size doesn't necessarily fit all right, right? so you right. there there's a sweet spot there absolutely where you can't be too restrictive and too too regulated right because then that's going to be you know not advantageous to a certain type of student who needs these other options so the idea here is to find that sweet spot yeah which and you ground. think that arizona has has vastly overexpanded yeah. the, the vouchers. And then do you want to get in at all about, is, is it Steve Yarbaugh? <laughs> he, he has a particular vested interest in he, vouchers because he, he's earning money off of private schools? Yes, and he's not the only one. So um, Senator Steve Yarbrough, um, you know, the legislative session is only four or five months long in Arizona. So all of these folks have other jobs. And most of them are something that's kind of entrepreneurial because it, it has to be a job that lets you leave and be a legislator for five months of every year. Right. right. Um, so Steve Yarborough is the owner of private schools and he is the head. He is the chair of the education committee in the Arizona Senate. Most people would say, okay, if your profit, your salary comes from private schools, you should probably not sit on the education committee. But again, back to that whole when one party has all the power and voters are disengaged so they don't make a stink, mm -hmm. then these things just seem to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly what happened in this, in this instance. He, he did not recuse himself. He stayed the chair of the education committee voting on the expansion of private school vouchers. Um, and then on the other side of the courtyard at the Capitol, the House of Representatives, um, Representative Eddie Farnsworth is also the owner of private and charter schools. And he also is a very vocal advocate for voucher expansion, of course. And, and, and the conflict of interest there is that the expansion of vouchers frees up more money for students to come choose their schools Absolutely. for them to make profit. Yeah, also. it increases their customer base. So, so we have our, our political leaders writing the book on figuring out a way to make a profit yeah. off of the privatization of education. Right. Now, it sounds bad. Now, fundamentally, it sounds like a conflict of interest. And like you said, you may not necessarily want the people that will profit off of something to be making the decision from a 
governmental standpoint. Um, are they, are those schools, and, and again, so here we, we are not sure if those schools are providing good outcomes for their students. Right, so they have a completely drastically different reporting requirement. Right. Um, the other thing that I think didn't get talked about enough with the vouchers is what the families give up, actually. Um, you know, in public schools, there's, you have, all of our regular American rights and, and duties apply because it's government, right? It's a public school. So you still have the First Amendment in school. Um, you have freedom of speech. No one can pick on you for your religion, all of that stuff. Private schools are private businesses. So many times if you look at a contract, because you are entering a contract with a business when you go to these schools, if you look at the contract, the parents are actually signing away their rights to information about their students, and they are signing away um, their privacy. Mm. Um, think about, you know, kind of advertising, data collection. Data mining, big data kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we Americans aren't so good at reading contracts, right? And Mm-mm. so I don't think that a Especially lot Especially of... not since Apple's been asking me to update my phone yeah. every, every four months. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yes, I agree. Yeah. Click, click, click. I yeah, think South Park did it. an episode about that. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I feel like that got talked about almost zero, about what are families giving up, what are, what are parents getting into right. when they go into that situation. And especially when, as you mentioned, the sort of narrative is public schools are insufficient and right. if you care about your kids you will apply for a different type of school yeah that is literally what people have told me here in arizona wow. they say as long as you apply to go somewhere else other than the public schools you'll be fine and i was like what how, how is wow. that the narrative like how did we get to this this state and then and then are we uh you know self-fulfilling this brain drain yeah out of out of public education at what I, f- I feel like we should be propping up our public education Absolutely. as something that's a priority. Yeah, and you know, there's a hashtag out there called um, public school success or public school pride. I'm not, probably both of them actually. Uh-huh. Um, but that's one, you know, that's a big thing that I talk about too. And, and the reality is that in Arizona, funding has gone down since, you know, like I was a kid or something. Um, but I like to talk about, you know, I feel like I went on to become a fairly decent adult. And, you know, all of my public school friends, I mean, one went to Harvard Law, one went to Harvard Medical, um, one went to Baylor Medical. I mean, we produce these amazing people. I have friends who are performing on Broadway and, um, you know, on movie sets in Hollywood and everything else, everything in between. And we're all public school kids, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and we're a diverse group and we still know each other almost, you know, 15 years later or whatever it is. We still talk to each other. Our parents still run into one another in the mm. grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that social fabric again that, that I talk about. And, and I think on a, on a national level, level, maybe even a global level, um, and this gets into things about, you know, social media and our digital lives and stuff like that but having some of those real life connections mm-hmm. you know i think that i think that that has tentacles in so many other places of our lives mm. yeah, yeah absolutely which is one of the reasons that it's so great to be sitting face That's to face right. so that thank you for coming over yeah. um anything else we didn't get to uh i think we've put in a pretty good uh, a pretty good conversation here um anything else that that you wanted to highlight that we didn't touch on um i don't 
think so. I think if I just, like, I, like we were kind of commenting, it, things are serious, but they're not hopeless. Yeah. And it, they've set up a system where it can feel kind of intimidating and hard to get involved and use your voice, but it's not impossible. And there are a lot more people doing it. And there's room for a lot more people to start doing it. Mm -hmm. So I just, I would encourage anyone who's, who's interested in this and listening to this to, you know, just jump on Google and, mm -hmm. and figure it out. How do you mm -hmm. get involved? What do you care about? You will be welcomed. And, and, <laughs> and what, uh, what a shift when our leaders see that we're watching. Oh, yes. Right? That's Absolutely. the idea. Right? We see what you're up to. And, you know, if it's shady... We're going to call it out. That's right. And We're going to record it, 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 it and should not, post it on Twitter. It should not persist. <laughs> All right. Well, Dawn, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, it's it's really exciting for me to uh, use Live At You as a platform for, for local and, and uh, important issues. Awesome. Um, serious, but not hopeless. I like that. That's right. And hashtag public school pride. That's right. But I mean, hey, I've got friends that went to private school too. Oh, me too. Cool. You know, like, like uh, choice isn't bad. But we 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 need to sustain quality outcomes right. for that safety net. We need to eat our veggies. Yes, eat your dinner before you move on to dessert. All for right. Sure. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye. second last so let it be just what it is Second best, so let it be what it is.